Um, this is the book I use. Uh, Benjamin here um, just asked me what the name of it is. George Eldon Ladd, if you look him up. Um, he is, he's one of the top guys that teach away, I think. Um, and I, I will say about that, though, um, let me see what this book was first copyrighted. This says 72. So I thought it was a little bit older than that, but maybe not. But um, even as I'm reading this today, I'm going... Uh, I'm not sure you're you're right there. So, um, as I said, no matter which way you think about Revelation prophecy, part of its nature is it's not written in a mystery, but it's written in such a way until it happens, you might not really understand all the details. A lot of, uh, if you remember, Jesus taught in parables. He said to hide the truth from the, the wise and reveal it unto children and people that had understanding. So, the Holy Spirit gives us understanding, and sometimes we have to he gives us details, but those details um, may, may come about in, in an odd way. And I, I think y'all understand what I'm trying to say, even though I'm not saying it well. Y'all have got 10, I'm going to give you 11, right? 10 and 11, okay, good. Um, and that is a, a, a television show, especially one that's a, a drama or a dramatic show, um, there, the, the hero always gets in a bind, and at least from your perspective as, a, as an observer, the authors, writers, producers, whatever their title might be, have set it up in such a way that it actually looks impossible for them to get out. But there's a, a little thing, you know, that is there. Uh, sometimes they will, in a good written story or a television or movie, whatever, they, they will hint at it if you were paying attention. Or... Um, I, I love the shows that once it happens, you go, oh, then they back up and they show you like all the, the little breadcrumbs they dropped along the way. I, and I think prophecy uh, in, in a more baptized way that God, God doesn't just spell it out. He could have said on this date, you know, and it wouldn't have made any sense to anybody until we got to that date maybe. This exact thing is going to happen exactly like that. And... Um, and, and, and it's not that it's not understandable, but he, he reveals stuff in a way that makes us search harder, look at it more, think about it. So I try to stay as plain as I can. Um, the other thing that has happened to me in the past year, I guess, um, is, is I realized that um, from, from the time of the... <laughs> we won't even talk about Revelation yet. From the time of the Bible... Uh, uh, you know, the early church, this, all the stuff Jesus taught, and the apostles were teaching that. It didn't take long for man to make it a religion and go off the rails. And that happened around uh, 330 A.D. And we use that date because that's when Constantine, the emperor of Rome in that day, made Christianity legal. It became the official religion of Rome. And any time, um, uh, any, well, Christianity especially, becomes the legal religion, uh, it'll get messed up. Why? I'll, I'll ask that question, why? And more or less, that's exactly, yeah, that's where my mind is. Because politics get involved, and it, it, and it is another tool for somebody to exercise power or influence in, in, in a wrong way. And... Um, was it ever right for religion to be the government? Now think about that for a second. 
Yeah, it, when, when, when God established the nation of Israel, it was, he, when they asked for a king, he said, I'm not good enough for you. But all along he knew they were going to have a king because he gave prophecy to Moses when he's turned over. When you go into the land, I promised you, and one day you'll have a king. He, I mean, it's there. We kind of forget that because when I was a kid, they were saying they were never supposed to have a king. Well, God said they were going to one day. So they went through these judges, and it got just, you know, it got all messed up. And so then God, uh, David rose, and then David being a type of Christ, and of course the, the forerunner, the forebearer of Christ, he did it right after that, not so much. Now, did he mess up? Sure he messed up, we know that. But So that was the only time when religion was ruling that it ought to have been right. When, with Moses in the desert, um, and, and at least King David, the judges... Some are good, some are bad. After that, it kind of went off the rails because it became powerful. You got it centralized again. So, um, but there is coming a time when the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of, of God, of, of Christ. He will be uh, the, the ruler of all things. But what's happened to me, and, and uh, so anyway, so religion went off the rails around 330 AD. That's the beginning of it. And, and, and uh, if you are Catholic or were Catholic, I don't think anybody in here is or was. But I don't mean this ugly or in, in any bad way because us Baptists are having troubles ourselves right now, much less in the past. Um, but, but the Catholic Church, their, their most gross errors ha- are really more recent uh, than, than we would suspect a lot of their worst doctrines have had in the past 150, 200 years, which is relatively recent, 2,000 years. Uh, of course, though, in the Middle Ages, they were selling indulgences. And this is just like big, broad strokes of history in the middle, what we would call the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages that I was taught when I was a kid. Um, the, there was a low literacy rate among us common folks and so they only knew what the priest told them. And then they would only say it in Latin, which isn't even original Bible language. Um, so you had to, so they just believed whatever they were told. Um, you, you can hear modern stories of religious figures who do that today. And I won't say Christian ones, but religious ones. Um, the, the professor whom I love so much, uh, not, I, I hesitate to say my favorite ever, but in a sense he is. Um, uh, he one day in class said we've taken talking about us preachers today we've taken the Bible away from people in a way the Catholic Church never did because the Catholic Church said you've got to listen to us but said then we we start talking about Greek and Hebrew words and these kind of things and tell them basically the same thing Uh, you you can't understand the Catholic Church wouldn't even let them have a Bible he said we tell them you can't understand it unless you know Greek or Hebrew and that, that's not true. We can, we can know what we need to know from, from English. Does it help us to go back to those original languages? Yes. Am I an expert in that? No, I am not. Um, I, I wouldn't even pretend to be. I know just enough that I can look stuff up and get a good general idea or read something someone else had and comprehend that. So I say all that to say what happened in the Enlightenment, Renaissance, middle, after the Middle Ages is reason came to the forefront. And something you may or may not know, I'm just, I don't know why I'm just explaining all this tonight, and what does this have to do with Revelation, is because I think we've gone like this with prophecy in the Bible through time. When, when, the, when Renaissance happened, when, when uh, Enlightenment happened, 
we became, reason became king or queen, however your view is. Theology from, from that time and, and up to people understood it to be and called it the queen of the sciences. Because if you didn't understand this, you couldn't understand any, any other kind of science. You can't understand math. You can't understand. Because all sciences should point us back to God. In fact, those early scientists after enlightenment said God did it a certain way, and it's our job to figure out how he did it. That, that's, that was science in the beginning. Now it's become what we call secular, but science is never an enemy of Scripture or of God. Because in a sense of the word, God used, well, let's say physical laws to create and to do all those things. There's a formula, there's a law that he knows on a much higher plane than we understand. Um, I use myself as an example of that. Um, I've said it to a lot of people, so you, if this is the 20th time you've heard it, please bear with me and forgive me. I went to the diabetic clinic when we lived in Suffolk. I went to the diabetic clinic in Norfolk. It's called the Strelitz Clinic. Strelitz owns, um, I forgot, the big furniture chain. And, uh, and, and he, I, his wife or somebody's diabetic, and so he wanted to do research, so he created the Strelitz Clinic. So he paid the money for it. And, uh, and so that's what it's called. But the doctor there was Dr. Vinnick, and I think he was from South America, South Africa. And I'll say 30 years ago now, 40 years ago, he had this thought um, that when a baby is conceived, you have a sperm and an egg that meet, and you've got a single cell. And now think about that. Out of that single cell, everything in your body was made. And he said, what tells that cell as it's splitting and dividing, something tells it you be a heart cell, and you'll be in this spot in the heart you'll be a eyelash cell or you'll be a eyeball cell of some sort. You know, I, I'm not even smart enough to name all the little parts in our bodies. You'll be a blood vessel. You'll be a piece of skin. You'll be all the, and those, from that one cell, everything that's in our body is made. And he said, what triggers it to know what to become? There has to be something. So what, he, what we know is that your body and mine has more stem cells, which are undesignated cells that you will never use. You will die with them in your body. And if you could touch them and, and tell them what to do, you, would, you could make a brand new body out of yourself. So he thought, what makes a cell become an insulin-producing cell, which we know as islets of Langerhorn is what they're called because Langerhorn figured it out, and it's these funny-looking things. And so they have T-shirts that say, I'm the proud owner of a dead pancreas, you know, because my islets of Langerhorn, my immune system attacked my islets and killed them. It, it misjudged, recognized them as an enemy and killed them. So I have, I have immune deficiency. I do not have acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And so rheumatoid arthritis is one of those. Diabetes is one of that. Thyroid problems are a certain type of thyroid problem is, is that where your immune system misfires. So I have a very high immune system. So when people say, oh, don't touch me, I have a cold, I always say, well, germs come to me to die. So even if I get the germ, like everybody else is over there dead, and I'm going, yeah, I felt bad for a day, but I'm okay now. Um, it just kills it pretty fast. So he figured it out. It's a protein. He calls it a, uh, in, 
I forgot the name of it. But he named it. An insulin da, 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 protein. Um, NGAP. I-N-G-A-P. Is, now I don't know what all the initials are for. Hey, brother. Good to see you. So I'm saying all that to say we got all, we got very scientific. And when we started, see, when we read about miracles in the Bible, we started saying, well, that was for then and this is for now. And we made the supernatural something um, truncate. We, well, somebody put, here's for tonight or for next week, brother. But you were right to get that too. Um, and we have kind of forgotten that right now in this room are demons and angels. And God, <laughs> he's here. I wouldn't say the devil's here, but God's here because he promised he's everywhere at once. He, he's the only one who can do that. And, and the Bible, it, it says more about that spirit world than we catch sometimes. It will mention something, but if you're not paying attention, you just give it a different meaning. But if you look at it close, you go, wait a minute. So in the past year, I've become like, you know what? I've been ignoring the supernatural because we, we give some credence to it when we say, well, all we can do now is pray. Well, that was all you could ever do because that's the real reality, right? God could reach down any diabetic and fix my immune system and make my eyelids grow if he wanted to. I don't know of a case where he's ever done that. <laughs> I like to tell faith healers that, that think, you know, well, I'm going to hit you in the head and you'll be well. Well, no, probably not. That's not how that works. Um, but if he wanted to, he could, and I know that, but he doesn't want to. Why? Because this is, I always looked at it like Paul having a thorn in the flesh this is my thorn in the flesh. It's helped guide my life and make me who I am, right? So I, I say all that to say when we come to Revelation, this is a supernatural book from beginning to end. It's telling us about stuff that hasn't happened yet. It's a revelation to John. And so we ought to approach it with the, this isn't a historical record of what has happened it is a prehistory historical record of what's going to happen and you can't tell that story just like today tomorrow the next day it has to change so when we read through this and, and I, I kind of said this at the beginning so I'm just re-emphasizing because we're about what, halfway through I guess and that is there are different ways that people have assumed it is going or decided this is what, how I believe he's recording it. And sometimes your interpretation of what you're reading is based on what you already think. So if, if something unusual happens in front of you, you can only interpret it by what you already know. And that's how you will interpret it. You may say, I've never seen anything like that. It could be something... A thousand people know, or, you know, a million people know about, but you've never seen it before. It's very odd. Um, I don't know if you realize that people used to report there was a thing that swam like a, like a, a fish, but it had a, a duck bill, and it, you know, but it had fur, but it, it laid eggs, but it looked like, it, and it, it was a platypus. And they denied that that existed for a long time until finally they caught one and went, oh, yeah, it does exist. So I'm just saying, so you go, that's not possible. It's not possible for a mammal to have a duckbill and lay eggs but, or, and be poisonous at the same time. All of that's true about the platypus. It's, you know, it's kind of the little thing we say when something is too crazy to be real, but it is. So I, when I, well, I say that to say we come to Revelation, John may have seen something that we want to try to figure out and explain in modern terms 
that that's not possible because it's not something like that. It is something we've never seen before. And so John explained it the best way he could. And it, I would rather say, no, it's, you know, locusts coming out of a pit that look like that and got stingers than to try to say, oh, it's a helicopter or a tank or whatever. So I, I, that's, just a, that's just a little pep talk. I gave y'all, uh, if you were here, um, uh, uh, Brother Joe sent me a, an article on the last trumpet. And since we'll be talking about the last trumpet tonight, I want us to look at this. And he sent us an article by someone who believes the opposite of the way I believe, not the opposite, but different than I believe, on why that last trumpet in Revelation is not the last trumpet of, um, is it, of Thessalonians. So, I gave those out a long time ago. Do y'all have one? If you, if you got it with you, you, you can. If you don't have it, yeah, you picked yours up tonight. There you go. Um, I, I want us to just look at it together at least a little bit. We don't have to do it in detail. Because at the same time as that, I want you to, I want to I help you to be able to look at stuff critically, including anything I ever preach on or say. I think you ought to, you, do you have it? Yeah, okay, great, awesome. What's that? Well, now you, you can each have one. I got plenty, yeah. I won't say paper's cheap, but we got enough. Um, well, this cost the tree its life, but other than that. Um, but we can replant those, praise the Lord. Uh, so I, I just want us to, to look at it a little bit. Um, because this man is coming at it with some precept. This is how you... This is how you carefully read something or learn something new. You've got presuppositions that may, and a presupposition is something you believe that, I, I'll put it this way. When, our, when our, we first, when Savannah was coming, Janice and I, we, we, we are, we are uh, if you've ever been around me when I'm not in the pulpit, you know that I like to joke around a lot, Okay. <laughs> So I just like to joke. I just say silly things sometimes. And sometimes they pop out unexpectedly. Um, I come from a family that just like to joke around. And so we say some crazy stuff sometimes just to have some fun. And so one day we just said, what if we teach our children like black and we say that's white and that white is black and red is green and just give it different names. And then when they go to school, you know, that. Of course, we would not do that, but that would be silly, wouldn't it? But what we would have been doing is creating in our child a presupposition that was wrong according to the terminology of the rest of the world. See what I'm saying? But they would always say, no, my mama said that was white. They're going, no, honey, that's black. No, that's not black. It's white. Well, they're talking about the same color thing. They just have a different name for it. Okay, so sometimes that happens. Somebody has a a way of saying it, and I've seen people arguing, and they're saying the same thing. They're just saying it two different ways. And, and occasionally, when I'm called to referee that, I go, stop. You're both saying the same thing. You're saying this. You're saying this, which, and then I reconnect the wires, and I go, oh, yeah. Sometimes you're in the middle of an argument, and you realize, wait a minute, you're, you just said what I said. You know, you figure it out for yourself, Right. So anytime we read something or look at something, we come at it with our presupposition. And if that's challenged, then we have to step back and examine, well, this is my presupposition, but am I right? 
Why do I think that that's the way it is? Well, if I was just told that, then everything I read, I assume that. And it may not even say it. That's how people get fooled all the time because people know what people will assume in, in general and they can do something to make them think that without ever actually doing it themselves. It, in other words, they can create a suggestion to make you think that, but they never actually said what you thought. But, it, but they know it made you think that way. Um, I'll give you a self-defense uh, illustration. Just this, I hope none of you ever have to do this, and most of us in here probably couldn't do it anyway. But a guy comes up to your face, and he's threatening you. And he's right here. One thing you can do is fold your arms. It's probably better to do them like that. And you look at him right in the eye, and then you go, when I do that, he does this. And when he does that, I go, pow, and I hit him and then run, okay? But all I did is I made him think something was behind, like, I just looked behind him. And even if he doesn't turn, his mind leaves me and goes behind him, goes, what's back there? And it will cause a, a letdown in what he's doing, and you've got to move in that second. That is, that is using presupposition to make him think something's not true. My former father-in-law who passed away, Janice's stepfather, he and her mom, Linda, went, to a, went on a mission trip to Brazil. They're on the beach in Rio de Janeiro just before they came back. They're on the beach, and a guy, a guy walked up and tried to rob them. That happened to him. He did what I did, except he didn't hit the guy. He went, over here, like that, and the guy took off running. Nobody was coming. <laughs> but he just thought that real quick, said it like, hey, over here, guys. And then the guy just took off because he thought somebody was coming. They weren't. So I want us to look at that and look for this guy's presupposition. So when you read something you don't agree with or you think is different, remember you've got one and look and say, why would he say it that way? What made him interpret that that way? And so I, I will tell you how the man who taught me the way I teach Revelation, he used to say, what does it say? And then when I would say it, he'd say, Stu, you got to think like a Christian. <laughs> um, and he would, it, does it say that? Pastor Burchett, the different professor, in a class, a graduate class, Everybody had their master, you know, their, their bachelor degree of some sort. We're in a class. We're studying the scripture. There's a bunch of preachers. He had us read a text, and then he asked a question, and everybody got it wrong. Well, not everybody, but I didn't say anything, so he didn't know. I, I got the right answer, but I wasn't going to say it. But I just, in my head, I thought, that's not it. But I don't say stuff because I was the only guy that was an active pastor while I was taking these classes. These other guys were studying to be one, and I already was one, but I had a lot to learn. I'm sorry, that just, none of that came out right, but you know what I'm trying to say. And he just said, boys, that's what you call reading without reading. Because they read the text, but by the way he formed the question, they gave him the wrong answer. And it made us go, wait a minute. And so sometimes if I say something and you go, what? I learned that from Dr. B, Okay. He, he's the one that taught me that just, you ask this question, not, it's not a yes-no answer. And then when you have to think about it, you say something, and I go, well, wait a minute, show me that. And then he would say, 
Well, show me what you just said in the text. Oh, have you ever read something and you go, man, I read this great verse. And then you go back, look, and you can't find it. That's what just happened to you. You read it with a presupposition and you thought it said what you wanted it to say. And when you go back and look, it's not there because it's not what it said. That, that happens to me and that happens to all of us. So I, I'm sorry. I, I just want to do this. I, I, I don't want to act like my position is the only right or is the right one and everybody else is wrong. But when I read what somebody says... Um, Sorry, I, I'm, I'm trying to apologize enough that nobody gets mad at me for doing this. But um, if you ever read a newspaper article about a fossil found, um, I used to tell people this all the time. Back when we had newspapers, you have to look at them online now. There are certain things they will always say. They will never say this is 10 million years old. They will say about. They will say we believe it was or we think it was or it could have been. They never are definite. That always came from an area that used to be a tropical region. They are now saying that about Antarctica because it was, the whole world was. This is all creation science. We already are there. The other science is just catching up to us. The ice age happened after the flood because everything changed and parts of the world froze and there was a lot of water to freeze and it froze and then it slowly melted, went away. The mountains were pushed up as the water is flowing, getting off the earth and back, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so every article on a dinosaur bones or something they discovered, all of that would be in it every time. And I would just take that article sometimes and go, look at this, guys, and look what they said. And when you looked at it through creation eyes, you go, well, of course. Uh, I went to the Maple Festival three or four years ago now because it's been canceled the weather's bad hadn't been a long time some lady from west virginia is selling fossils that she found in a river in west virginia they were sea creature fossils and i asked her you know how those got there she goes i know you're going to say the flood but i don't believe in that stuff <laughs> and i went yet you have the evidence right here you're trying to sell me for 10.99 right the evidence that this used to be underwater, under an ocean. We're in Arizona. The first year I was here, we went to the Southern Baptist Convention in Arizona. I don't think I've been back to one since. And Janice and I took an extra day. We went up to Sedona. And you know, turquoise, the, the green stone. And then there's an orange stone, right? Orange and turquoise. You get that jewelry from Arizona out west, right? You know what I'm talking about? So I'm in a jewelry store. Janice said, you know, I never wanted turquoise, but I think I'd like to. So I bought her something. I don't know. It wasn't expensive. We didn't have a lot of money. And I said, let me ask you something, man. I said, I, I get this as turquoise, but what is the orange stuff? He said, those are seashells, fossilized seashells. And now we are 2,000 feet above sea level. There's a mesa over there, another 2,000 feet high in Sedona. They take trips. You can take a Jeep ride up there or something. I said, well, this comes out of Arizona. He goes, yeah. I said, where do you get fossilized seashells in Arizona? He said, on the top of that mesa over there. You know that's the flood, right? Um, they were digging a well in our backyard in Suffolk. We, we had a shallow well. We had to get a deep well. Had to go down, I don't know, 500, 600 feet. So one day they're out there and every 10 feet they would, the guy would take a shovel and put it in the water coming out, the stuff coming out of the drill they were doing and he would dump it on the side and they would look at it. 
Well, one day he's doing a lot of it. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, at this level, we always find shark teeth. And I said, oh, and I went, oh, cool, like a witness. I said, you know what, why you always find them there, right? He goes, yeah, the flood. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're a Christian. He goes, yeah, absolutely. He said, we always find seashells and shark's teeth at this level underground because that's when the flood happened. All these creatures died, and that's where the fossils are. Thank you. So I'm just saying that God has worked in, in natural ways and supernatural ways, and we forget the supernatural. But we have presupposition. I've said a lot tonight, just rattling on at the mouth. That's Gulliver talk too much. All right, so those who hold a tribulational rapture teach that the seventh trumpet of Revelation eleven fifteen and the last trumpet, uh, I'm sorry, those who hold a mid-tribulational rapture is what he says, right? Uh, hold that the seventh trumpet of Revelation and the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two and 1 Thessalonians four sixteen are identical. Those who teach a pre-tribulational rapture identify them as separate events. What difference does it make, and how can we know the truth? Okay, what is the first presupposition in that paragraph that he just made? There's two, actually. At least two. There's probably more in my presuppositions. Don't let me see them. I'll give you a hint to the first one. I don't believe in a mid-tribulational rapture. I don't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. But he doesn't mention that in here. I believe in a post-tribulational rapture, and I believe the intense rapture, the intense tribulation we see in Revelation is only three and a half years. Post-tribulation. Yeah, I, I believe post-tribulational rapture. So. Mm-hmm. When the last trumpet sounds. Yes. Right. Does it say that in Thessalonians that we go to the trip? Does it say that, that, that the marriage over the lamb happens just at the rapture? Here, here's my question for, for you. Where did the saved people who weren't dead yet come from, and what do you call people who follow Christ? What, what group are they a part of? Yeah, the saved who are not dead, what, where, what do you call the when you put all of them together, what is that? Yeah, yeah, I'm not talking about those. I'm saying if, if there are a bunch of... Right, what do you call... If all of those people were put in one room, what would you call them? They are the, I don't think it's a uh, that's not the point. What do you call that group of people? The church. Yeah. So if the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation, when the dead are raised, then there is a church that is alive that, is, that are changed and also go. If it happens at the beginning, we understand that, right? So you're right. The church has to be in the tribulation for them to be changed and, and come out. But I just want, I want to look at this right now, and we'll, we'll come back to that. That's, that's good. He has a second presupposition. Um, 
I thought of it a minute ago. I didn't write any of this down. I'm just looking at it like you are right now. Um, Oh, to, to say mid-tribulational rapture, he has to believe seven years. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says it's seven years. In fact, over and over in Revelation, as we get in these last chapters, it says three and a half years, three and a half years, three and a half years. Time, times, and a half. Time, times, and a half time. A year, two years, and a half. Three and a half. And it, set, and it numbers days. Divide that by 356. Or is that how many years? 365. And you get three and a half years every time. All right. So his presupposition is there's seven years. So he has to identify people. There has to be a mid-trib. Mid-trib's getting close because what we'll see in Revelation. Okay. So then he says, what does it matter? Uh, what does it matter whether or not the trumpets are the same? God has given us his word as the revelation of his plan of redemption. And that plan covers everything from creation to the new creation. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there's many things that God has chosen to reveal to us, and it's important for us to understand them so we can obey Him. I would agree with everything He just said there, I believe. We don't always understand why he does things, but we're called to trust him for the parts we don't understand and to study to understand the rest. I would agree with that, but I believe he's trying to lead us to a thought that might not necessarily be true. As we look at the text about the trumpet, I'll say it this way about me. If I tell you something and I say I don't understand it, it is unfair. That might be because I don't ever want to say that let me stop myself. What I'm trying to say is, and if I say, well, we can't understand it, I'm, I'm saying that this is so weird we can't. I think we can. I'm just telling you, I don't. I'm just not smart enough to. So if I tell you, oh, we can understand that, I may be hiding the fact that I'm just too ignorant to tell you what it is because I don't know. But I'm not that proud. I know there's stuff I don't know. So I don't mind saying I don't know. I don't get it. We, we have to keep studying. Um, but anyway... As we look at the text about these trumpets, it becomes clear that they are part of a chronology that God has given us of events in the last days. Whether or not we are still living when these events come to pass, they involve us, so we ought to know what God's revealed us. Now, I would agree with that, but again, he's going to define the chronology. So let's look at those texts, uh, especially Corinthians and Thessalonians. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, because I want to stay with the text, like I said. I don't want to just tell you what I think. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. And that's, that's limited. So uh, let, let me back up to verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? Well, we eventually have a body in heaven. And I just throw eventually in there because we don't know between now and the resurrection whether we'll have a body or not. Some people believe that we might have a temporary body, but the Bible doesn't address that, so I don't want to teach that. Will we have a physical body in heaven when, after Jesus returns, after the second coming, whenever that is, however it is? Of course, yeah, we will. He's gonna re it says right here he's going to resurrect our bodies. He's going to make them brand new, right? 
So we'll have a flesh and blood body. So what does he say when he says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven? What does that mean? Right. Right. The body I now live in is corruptible. It cannot stand to go to heaven. It cannot live in heaven. It, it won't make it. I need a different body. So he's saying the body you're now in cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven because it's fallen. You, you, you're living in a fallen condition. So he's got to, to do something. So he says the, the perishable doesn't inherit the imperishable. So I tell you a mystery. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And that's the theme verse for the nursery, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and here's where it says it, at the last trumpet. He's going to say something at the end of this that will show his presupposition. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then will come to pass saying, death swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Power sins the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I said all that about DNA earlier to remind you that if God made your DNA once, he can make it different again. It doesn't matter where it is. If it's dust in the desert, he can, he can do that. The other one is... Um, the same teaching, 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, we just left Corinthians. I should have left you there and should have asked you, does that say when that trumpet will sound? It does, but it doesn't tell us a location on a chart. It will happen at the last trumpet, but it doesn't tell us when that last trumpet is, right? And that's his point in this paper. The Thessalonians account of the very same thing, the very same human author, um, First, Thessal uh, First Thessalonians 4.16. And again, if you only give me one verse, I'm going to look on either side of it because I don't trust that. I don't trust that about myself, and I've been guilty of doing it too. Um, let's look back, at least start with 15. Four, and four means should have seen what else happened. Since we believe Jesus died and rose again... Even so, uh, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay, catch that. The dead will be coming back with him. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, for my brother here on the front, it doesn't say anything about a marriage supper there. Somebody drew a chart and put that up there. It doesn't say it right here in the text. Yeah, but it's not in the Bible. So, so my question is, does that tell us when that trumpet sounds, when that rapture happens? The word rapture is not in the Bible. It's a Latin word. It means the catching up. 
And so it comes from this that we who the dead will rise and then we who are alive will be changed and caught up with them in the air. And so my question is, where are, the, where are those who rise with and go to Christ and when does that happen? According to these two texts together. Because it does tell us where we will be. See, people assume we go to heaven. That's not what it says. It says we'll be with the Lord. We meet him in the air, and thus we will ever be with the Lord. We will always we'll just stay in the air. No, he's coming back, so we will meet him in the air, and then we will be with him always. Does it say when it will happen? Yeah. It says uh, way back up there. God will bring with those, the, the, those with him, those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you by word from the Lord, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord is when the rapture will occur, at the coming of the Lord. So if you believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, and if you do, I'm never going to argue with you about that. I don't mind discussing it. Like I'm, I'm just trying to discuss it, and I sound... I come from a family where the loudest voice wins, okay? So that's why I can get really loud. I get excited. My adrenaline starts flowing. I get really loud. Please don't take that as aggression or anything. I just, Janice told me, said, when the, I know when you're not sure because you get louder. I'm, I know. That's how I was taught. You just, you fight for it till you, they, you convince them. And then after you convince them, you go, wait a minute, though, you might be right. Uh, so, so please don't take my volume for, for anything other than just, I get excited. Yeah, sure. It's not a salvation issue. Well, the saved are the ones being raised, but yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Lazarus. They knew, yeah, the Jewish people know there was going to be a resurrection of the dead at some point. You're right. Is that, is that chapter 13? 11. No, he says, I am the resurrection. <laughs> yes, at the last day. It's, it's the last day when he appears, okay? People point to the passages in Matthew and is it Luke where he says, these things will happen. Go back and read those and try to erase your presupposition of when the rapture occurs and just read, read it and see when it comes. Because he says, all this stuff happens, but the end is not yet. Then all this stuff will happen, but the end is not yet. Then this stuff will happen, then you will see. Now, well, let, let, let's go back to this guy's, this guy's argument here. So we're going to just step through it. The book of Revelation, that's the third paragraph down, has, some, has sometimes been viewed as a book of mystery. Yet the title itself implies something brought out of nothing, right? That's, Revelation means 
You take the lid off so you can see what's in there. More specifically, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Revelation 1.1. God wants us to know what is going to happen so we can be prepared and to help us in calling others to repentance. I don't disagree there either. Beginning in chapter 6, we are given a chronological record of things that happened in the last days. What is his presupposition? He just told you very plainly what his presupposition is. Even, and these are the last days in Revelation, but there, there's something else there. Yeah, that is in chronological order from chapter 6 to the end. It doesn't have to be. Now, does it, there is a chronology I would, without, I wouldn't even argue that the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, there's a chronology to that. But we're seeing as we study, we get to the six, and all of a sudden he takes a break and he tells us a bunch of stuff that happens. We get to, in, in, the, uh, in the trumpets, we get to uh, four, and he takes a big break. Then he tells us five and six, then he takes a break. Then, he, or, or he takes a break, tells us four and five, then takes another little break, then we get to seven. We, we haven't even got to seven yet till the middle of chapter 11, and the trumps are introduced in chapter nine. Ten is a big break, then a little bit, and now we're going to go look at chapter 11, uh, eventually 10. I, I, I get the numbers confused in my head, but that's, that's how it works. So he is putting in your mind that it has to be chronological. Nowhere in the book does it say it's chronological. I don't know if he'll put the argument in here because I didn't read this and edit it before I did this. I wanted to do this with you as I looked at it so you would see how to do that. There is a series of seven seals and a series of seven trumpets and a series of seven bowls of wrath. He left something out. It happens during the uh, trumpets. There are seven thunders. And he says, and John said, and I went to write, and he said, don't write that down. So I didn't. There's one of the trumpets, when it sounds, it releases seven, uh, seven thunders. And he said, do not write down what the thunder said. He said what it said. So we don't even know what it said, much less what happens. But for some reason, God doesn't want us to know about that yet. And the seventh, and then he says, we read in Revelation eleven fifteen. Yeah, I got the numbers right. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In this context, this seems to come around the middle of the tribulational period. Okay, because of his presupposition, it's chronological. Since chapter 11 is in the middle of the book, it has to be the middle of the tribulation. But I showed you different ways of looking at it. It could be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. That's what he's saying. It could be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And all the sevens line up. It could be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And then kind of over here, this already starts. And then a few. And then over here it starts. It sort of like starts in, in, in like five or six in each one. The next one starts. I, I hold to the one that all the sevens line up in the end. But the six, the fifth or sixth, Opens the next set every time. Um, so, but, but just so you understand his presupposition, and he's right, he is being consistent in his argument. If it's chronological, it is the middle of the tribulation, and there's more to come 
But then that means that that's why people that believe in a mid-tribulational rapture believe in a mid-tribulational rapture because that's when the seventh trumpet sounds. But he is not even considering my position in this paper. I showed you that in the first paragraph, right? He doesn't even mention my position. Right, and what is my problem with that text right there? He's right. I still got 10, chap 10 or 11 chapters to go. And yet it says, but the kingdom of our, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ, right? So I got a problem. How do I explain that? Well, it, I explain it by the numbers that the sevens line up. There's still another set of seven to come. And the seventh of the next set is going to line up with the seven of the trumpets and the seven of the seals and the seven of the bowls. So it's all happening at the same time because he showed us this, told us some stuff, backed up, showed us this, told us some stuff, backed up, showed us this, and then, boom, all the sevens come together and the end comes. That's how I look at it. I could be wrong because I'm not infallible. Uh, the Bible is, but we don't always get it, okay? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to believers concerning the transition from this life to eternal life. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal, incorruptible bodies prepared for the eternal kingdom of God. Verse 52 says, In a moment, twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, trumpet shall sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Paul addresses the same subject in Thessalonians, specifically connects it to the rapture of the church. I don't disagree with that. The Lord himself shall descend from him with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, Dead in Christ will rise first. We will alive and remain be caught together in the Lord. Uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. So there's no question God's revealed these things to us. And he intends for us to be encouraged and instructed by them. The question is whether these trumpets are the same. If they are the same, then the rapture of the church happens in the middle of the tribulation period. Because he's already told you, of course, that it has to be chronological. And since in chapter 11, it has to be in the middle. I'm saying, no. There's more he has to explain. And he's already come to the end. But he's going to back up and tell you some other stuff. And come back to the end again. And he does that at least three times in the, in the book of Revelation. And remember, I, I told you this the first night. But I'm sure you forgot. It says, after these things... That's in chapter 4, verse 1. Metatalta, after these things. So people have all, have, have, from time immemorial, and I was going to do that one night. I decided not to because I thought you'd think I was mean. Chapter 4, verse 1 cannot be the rapture, but that's what, if you believe in pre-tribulation, that's where it is placed. They say, well, it happens between chapter 3 and chapter 4. So that's one of, one of the reasons, one of the ways people who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, because... Because they just assume it and say it. But where does the text say it? Well, it doesn't say it, but between chapter 3 and chapter 4, it must happen then because now John is seeing all this stuff. So for a little while, they would say, well, see, John gets called up, and so that's the rapture. Well, it can't be the rapture because he was in the spirit. The rapture is bodily. We will be raised bodily. It is only John. It's not everybody. <laughs> He's, now he's going to get to see what's going to happen. I mean, it, 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 there's too many. I, I wrote a whole paper on it in college, and he wanted to flunk me, but he couldn't argue with my logic, so he, could, he couldn't. Um, but it can't be the rapture there. So it is not mentioned in Revelation yet. We have not seen a rapture yet. 
Um, we may see it in this chapter. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so, I agree that we ought to be prepared, but he's saying it has to happen in the middle period, and the saints need to be prepared to endure these trials. If they're not the same, we need to know when the last trumpet will sound so we can be prepared for it. Well, dude, read the text. At the coming of the Lord is the last trumpet. Is there a trumpet mentioned after the seven trumpets? And I'll go ahead and tell you, no. So the only evidence we have of the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet of the seven trumpets of Revelation. Because it doesn't say, and then he stood up and blew another trumpet, and then he came. In order to find out whether they're the same, we compare the events that they are associated with. So he gives the text and where, where they say, um, not, un not until Revelation 19. His chart doesn't make sense, and it may be because it, it, was, it was on a computer thing, and when it printed, it really messed it up because this does not make sense to me, and I'm sure it wasn't this confusing. But anyway, if, maybe it's not. The box says Jesus descends from, and there's no more letters. Um, yeah, there's stuff missing. So, so ignore his chart because it won't make sense, and I don't want to fault him for his chart because it printed out wrong. So it's clear in the first two passages of Corinthians and Thessalonians fit together. But the third doesn't appear to have any uh, correlation in either of the events described or the intended result. Uh, I'm not sure he's right about that. The argument, because we haven't looked at the seventh trumpet yet, so I should have maybe waited, but anyway. The argument connected with them, connecting them, has to depend on the meaning of the word last in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. The Greek word eschatos can mean either last in point of time or last in point of sequence. This trumpet sounds before the wrath of God descends. If, if the sevens don't line up. Yet Revelation 6, 17 speaks of the wrath of the Lamb as having come. And the seventh trumpet doesn't sound until Revelation eleven fifteen. Let me ask you a question. If I say right now, I'm going to the store right now. Have I gone to the store and it all happened in the next five minutes? No, I haven't gone yet. So I told you something I'm going to do immediately, but it's going to take time for it to happen. So the kingdom of our God has become the kingdom of his. Has all the judgments happened? Has the, we had the marriage supper of the Lamb? Has all, no. But it's come. It's time for it. Right? You ever watch the TV show and people need to really get out of there? Like, oh no, get out of there. And then somebody kind of pauses. And I always think, why are they pausing? In real life, you'd be running, you know. Because they have to develop the story, right? And it just, it frustrates us. But in real life, if I say, I've, I'm going to the store, I haven't gone yet, but I am going right now. So when Jesus comes, everything's going to happen after that. It hasn't already happened. But he's saying, well, it, it can't be because it was declared he's come and then more stuff happens. Yeah, because the seventh trumpet is the same as the seventh seal and the seventh bowl. And you look at the events of those seven things and it, it, you just try to eliminate. I have to, uh, 
And by the way, I studied this for a long time before I could even begin to accept it because I had such strong presuppositions stuck in my head. But what does the text say? Matthew 24, 31, another trumpet will sound after the tribulation of those days when Christ returns to the earth, which parallels Revelation 19. Guess what he just said? The rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. <laughs> because that's what Matthew says. But what's his presupposition? This guy's presupposition is the rapture happens at the beginning of the tribulation. So he's assuming that's true, but he hasn't proven it from the text yet. So he comes to this place in Scripture where Matthew 24, 31 indicates there's yet another trumpet which sounds after the tribulation of those days. Right, the seventh trumpet. And Jesus returns. Revelation 19. We see the trumpet at 11, but that's when it happens. If the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15 is not the same as the seventh trumpet, then what was Paul referring to? Well, we don't know because it, it is, but that's just snarky. I shouldn't say that. Both 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians were written long before John wrote Revelation, so Paul's readers would have no knowledge of the seven trumpets of Revelation. Now, I want to ask you, what is his error in that sentence? And that, here, here's the error. When, when they asked Jesus, who's, um, something about him being the Messiah. Do you remember his, his question? Boy, that was a bad, because I can't remember what they asked him. He said, I'll answer that if you'll answer this. Whose son will the Messiah be? And they said, what did they say? David. He said, then why did David call him Lord and quote Psalm to him? If he's his son, how can he be his Lord? And they couldn't answer it because of what was their presupposition. But David knew before Jesus ever got here, or he wrote, that the Messiah would come in and be David's son. His error is, Paul could not know anything or be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write anything if it hadn't already been revealed. Well, dude, that's the whole Bible. They didn't know what they were writing. Yeah, but and what I'm saying is this guy says Paul can't write that because he doesn't know what Revelation is going to say. So you're saying Paul's not inspired by God to write the truth? I, I can't believe he wrote that sentence. Paul would have no knowledge of the seven trumpets of Revelation. Paul intended them for, for them to understand what he was writing about, so we need to look elsewhere for clarification. Paul's writing was distinctly in reference to the church and the closing of the church age at the rapture. What's his presupposition? That the church only exists from Jesus' resurrection till the rapture. Find, show me that in scripture. He has a, a dispensational presupposition that is causing him to not look at the text. 
Throughout scripture, trumpets were used to signals to gather people, armies on the move, part of the worship of God. And that's very true. The trumpet that summons the church is called the trump of God, which, while those in Revelation are angelic trumpets. Oh, the angels just blow them when they want, huh? It can't be that, so God's got to blow the trumpet? Is that what he's saying? That God has to blow it? When God told Mo, Moses to pick up the staff after it became a snake and he picked it up, what does the Bible say about it? A, cha, a, a page later. So Moses packed up his wife, his children, all his belongings, and he took the staff of God. So God came down and said, no, that's my staff. I got to carry it. You can't carry that. So don't, so he's playing with words to give them meanings that are, doesn't make sense. It can be the trumpet of God, but the angel blows it. God said, here, take the, can the angel just, I'm going to make my own trumpet, I'm going to blow it, and then you got to go back when I blow this trumpet. Or does God say, hey, you're the seventh angel, you don't blow it till I tell you to, and this is my trumpet, so you don't blow it till I tell you to blow it. Doesn't that make more sense? All right, so this is nonsensical to me. This He's trying to pull all this together, and, it, and it's nonsensical. Since it is a summoning trumpet, and again, he's now given it a title, even though what he's saying is right, we look to the Old Testament for further understanding. Numbers 10 gives instruction to Israel about the use of trumpets to call the assembly of the people, set them in motion. The first trumpet blast called the leaders together, while a continual blowing was an alarm for the people. A series of trumpet blasts was the signal for each group of tribes to begin their journey, and the last blast indicated the movement of the last group in the camp. Okay. I just read that, and all that is correct. The first trumpet blast, verse 4, I guess, of Revelation, um, calls the leaders together, uh, uh, Numbers 10. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I backed up. Similarly, 1 Corinthians 15, 23 speaks of different orders or ranks in the resurrection. Every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those that are Christ at his coming. I'm not even sure what he's trying to say there. See what happens when you don't go with what the Bible's saying and you try to make a different verse fit what you believe instead of believing what the verse says. Yeah, there's different. Christ was raised from the dead first, and every Christian will be raised at the end. So what does that have to do with the trumpet blast? Only the last trumpet is when it happens. Further, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, divides Christ's own into two groups, the dead and the alive. So the trumpet is the call for saints to assemble and journey to heaven. What does that mean for us? Jesus said, no one knows when the day of the Lord will begin. No, it doesn't. It does not say no one knows. It says the day will catch people like a thief. What does that mean? He went on to say, because if you knew at what hour the thief was coming, you'd be ready. So you must read the signs and be ready. He warned us he was coming and we ought to be ready so that he doesn't catch us by surprise. Remember, what is the parable he told to explain that? My hands should give you a hint. I'll tell it to you in Gullah. There have been ten virgins, and five of them been wise, and five of them been foolish. Right? Five had extra oil, five only had a little bit of oil. 
And at midnight, the trumpet blasts. The king is coming. The five who didn't have extra oil said, we've run out of oil. Give us some of your oil. They said, no, we brought this oil for us. We're going to use it too bad. And the ones that weren't ready are cast into darkness. And those who are ready went to, to the marriage. So is that a one-to-one? No, it was a parable to say, make sure you got the oil. Make sure you're ready, right? Nowhere in the Bible to say no one, no one knows now when that's going to be. But he said, you will know the signs because he explained it in Revelation so the church can get ready. That's how I look at it. Now, and again, I'm being loud and animated because I just get excited. Please don't take that to, to mean too much. Um, Jesus said, no one knows the day when, uh, when the day of the Lord will begin. Matthew 24, 36 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 describes the coming as a thief in the night without warning. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we're told, be steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness, we don't know when the trumpet will sound. We don't know the day or the hour, Jesus said, but we can read the signs, he said. He didn't include that part. While we may not know the day or the hour, we've been given enough information to know it can happen at any moment. No, it can't. Second Thessalonians, which he's ignoring, because the people first that he wrote to in Thessalonica in First Thessalonians, they thought, hey, it's going to happen soon. Let's quit our jobs and just go wait in this cave until he comes back. And Paul wrote Second Thessalonians, said, don't be foolish. This day won't come until the man of lawless is revealed. At the very least, you have to say, We'll know who the Antichrist is before the rapture. That's at the very least. I, let's say I'm totally wrong. Okay, I'm totally wrong. But we'll know who the Antichrist is. Because the man of lawlessness will be revealed before Jesus comes back. That will happen when, remember they call it the Magog Wall, when an Antichrist shows up and makes a peace treaty with Well, the Gog and Magog War, I thought, was the last war. When Jesus comes back and kills all, all those who move on Israel. So that will be at the end of tribulation. But the Antichrist is made known for it. Okay. So while we may not know, he says here, the day or the hour we begin enough information to know it could happen at any moment. Well, Second Thessalonians gives us a hint. Jesus said we would know the signs... So I know it can't happen at any moment because I don't know who the Antichrist is yet. So we are to be ready, putting on the armor of God. I totally agree with that because we've been appointed to receive salvation through Christ. I totally agree with that. Right. Yeah, okay. So that, that okay, I hear what you're saying. So I'm just looking at that critically, and I have questions. Now, if I wrote a paper on this, you should have the same questions. Well, wait a minute. Where did you get that? How did you say that? Why did you say that? Because I have presuppositions. I look at it as if this is going to happen at the end, so I'm trying to interpret Scripture to look that way. And I may misinterpret something because that's the way I'm trying to see it. So that's why I, I appreciate Joe found this and sent it to me. Well, look, here's an explanation why that seventh trumpet may not, may be a different trumpet. And within, and I want to say this about this author, I don't even know his name, I, it, it might be in here. Um, 
It's probably on the email I got, and I don't know what it is. So I apologize to the brother that did all that. What's that now? Yeah, that's what you, we were just looking at together. So, but what I will say about this guy is he was consistent in his belief structure. And I appreciate that. He explained it within what he believes. So that is a good thing. He didn't go outside of that. He's saying, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. I disagree with him. I look at what he said differently than he does. And I would, if I had a personal conversation with him, Listen, I've gone to guys that I would not, the very first thing I ever learned in life, and this isn't true, but it is true, is I never argue with the guy that has these three letters behind his name, PhD, okay? I don't argue with those guys at all. All I do is ask them questions. So I have asked the question of PhDs who believe like this, and they tell me what they believe, and I go, thank you very much, and walk away, because... I'm not going to argue with them. I just want to hear what they say. And I'll ask them questions like, well, how can this be? And if you believe this system, you're consistent. I brought with me a, a Bible last week. I'll bring it next week. We were past time. Um, I, I know we didn't get to the chapter, but y'all can catch up with the question this way. Um, and please, again, please don't take my passion as cocksuredness. It really isn't. Um, I argue my side of things vehemently because that's the family I came from. But I, it, if we were sitting there in a room, I'd get excited. But you can just, I, I, I promise I'm, I'm listening. Um, but but it, it does us good to look at all of this. And as I said, so I was reading this guy, and this is where that whole supernatural thing came in. Over and over and over in some of these chapters, he said, well, we... You know, this could be this, could be that. And it seems like he just ignores that God could have done something supernaturally that we don't know about yet that he's going to reveal in the last days. And we'll go, whoa, that's, that's what John saw, you know. If we are here, we may be seeing it from heaven if I'm wrong. Um, what's that? Uh, George Eldon Ladd. George Eldon Ladd. He wrote... He wrote several books. Just look at, look at his name up on Amazon. He wrote one called The Blessed Hope, which is only about the rapture. And then this is his commentary on Revelation. And as I'm reading it, that he agrees with my viewpoint of the post-tribulation rapture. But I'm reading it going, ah, George, I don't think you're right there. Okay? Because none of us are. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. <laughs> And so we, if I tell you something, I expect you to dig in Scripture and go, hey, he was right, or nah, he's way off base. And then tell me, hey, I'm not sure about that because this is what I saw. And I go, oh, wow, you're right. I've, more than once, I've had to say, you know what, I was wrong. And if you do that, if I say something on a Sunday morning and I was wrong, I will get up the next Sunday morning and go, guys, last week I said this, and I was wrong. Uh, somebody's pointed this out to me, I won't even call you out. And go, this is why I was wrong. Because I don't want to lead anybody astray. So I am not telling you you have to. This is why I never want to teach Revelation either. Because my view is not the most accepted one. Um, but it is not unaccepted either. There are men of good, godly men, smarter than me, that believe a lot of different things. And I don't have an argument with them. 
Because if their faith and trust is in Christ, we're all going to be in heaven where we all go, oh, because we're all going to be wrong about something, right? We get to heaven, we're going to go, ah, we should have got that right before we got here. But it'll get fixed, right? Um, You know, we like to criticize, I don't say we like to, but we criticize people that don't agree with us, but we got plenty we can be criticized for, and that ought to make us a little more humble and a little more... um, gentle with people uh, Baptists have a lot of problems right now Southern Baptists especially and uh, we hope that gets fixed but it's going to take work so anyway so that was more of a just a general kind of to help you as you answer these questions what does it say that's always my deal but what does it say find your answers in the text um, we're, we're wanting to understand things sometimes that we don't understand. And um, maybe somebody that I haven't read yet explains it in a great way. And, and hopefully I'll find it. Like I said, I found the guy that once I read his stuff, I went, oh, now a lot of this makes sense that I couldn't even put together. Um, and I'm not, I'm not the world's greatest expert, but there are other people who claim to be. So they probably know more than me. So I'm trying, I'm trying to not sound fussy at all, but that's hard for me. So please forgive me for that. Um, well, let's pray and we can go home. Uh, Lord, um, help us to, um, to come to your word, not, uh, well, to, to discern what is there. And, and we have to have some, some filters to do that. But Lord, help us not to come to your word trying to read into it what we believe but to let it transform our lives by what you are telling us. That that instead of coming with our presuppositions, Lord, help us to let the Holy Spirit teach us what you're saying. And we know that the book, the Bible is a miraculous book, that that there are layers and layers and layers that, that go deeper and deeper and deeper, that you help us to understand more and more. But we can understand at the very beginning on a level that brings us to salvation, to know Christ, and takes us on that journey of growth. Just like as children, we learn a word, we learn letters, we learn colors, we learn numbers. And from that, we grow in our understanding of putting all that together till the end of our days. So your word, Lord, teaches us, and we should be continually growing in it. Um, I thank you for what Martin Luther said, that if he could live a thousand years and, and every day not have to do anything but study your word, that he would never plunge the depths of what, it, what, what is there. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would understand that, that we would look in your scripture every day to know more and more about you. It's not that we'll never know enough. It's just that there's always more to learn. And, uh, God, we, we thank you for that, that, uh, that this never should get boring at all. In Jesus' name, amen.